Hey, welcome back with your baseball gods. This is episode 35, and it's been an interesting week. So I want to talk in this episode about my last year and the transition out of baseball. So this is about the time last year when I officially kind of, in my head, slowed down from a jog and just stopped. So for me, my baseball career has been a long marathon. And for me, the metaphor has always been kind of, you know, keeping up with the herd. So whenever you get hurt, you know, the herd keeps going on without you. And uh, it's one of those things where you try your best to keep up and to catch back up when you are, you know, when you start to get behind. But at the same time, it, it doesn't wait for anybody. And one of the hard things, you know, about sports is when you do get hurt or when you don't play well and you get released and you kind of get off the, the track that everyone else is taking up the top of the mountain, you know, it's tough to just to get back on there. But uh, so this past week I spoke, so a couple days ago, I was lucky enough to speak at the ASMI Injuries in Baseball course, which is put on by the American Sports Medicine Institute. And it's, uh, you know, Dr. James Andrews is the, the chairman and Dr. Glenn Pleissig, um, you know, the world's premier uh, biomechanics expert. So it's, it's one of these events that it's extremely prestigious and well-known amongst, you know, the best uh, baseball minds in the world. And we had attended that, Lucas and I, two years ago to learn more about baseball injuries, pitching injuries. And, uh, you know, I, I put in my pitch last uh, September, seeing if I could tell my story uh, about being a, a two-time Tommy John survivor to the audience there, which, you know, it's a medical conference, so it's pretty much across the board, PTs and, and doctors sharing surgical techniques and rehab techniques. And, you know, they have a small coaching panel on the last day that uh, talks about, you know, some of the coaching stuff, but it's more still like more of a, like a biomechanical focus um, and a little bit less of like a practical focus. So I, uh, I had, you know, and it's, it's funny how you, you learn the value of networking and I don't like the term networking because, you know, I just try to connect with people when I can. And so anyway, I, I spoke at Sabre seminar last August and that was my, my first real speaking gig since um, I transitioned into the real world. And when I was there, I met uh, Mike Reinold, who I'd sort of like known through the internet for a long time. And, uh, you know, I'd read his stuff for forever. He's one of the best uh, PT resources out there. And I also met Will Carroll from Modus. Um, he used to be, uh, well, he doesn't like to be defined by writing for Bleacher Report, but he, he was a, a prominent uh, writer on the internet. I mean, he, not on the internet, but wrote for Sports Illustrated, wrote for Bleacher Report. He's a very successful uh, author. He now works for Modus, and you know one of his goals is to prevent uh, elbow injuries. So, I spoke at Saber Seminar. Both of them were in attendance to hear my my talk, and uh, I put them down as references um, to Dr. Fleisig when I pitched my talk at ASMI. And uh, sure enough, he referenced me, and it was a little bit outside the box because I don't know that they ever had someone in my situation speak at their conference because again, it is very like medically focused. But anyway, they uh, they gave me the green light, and I got to give that speech and I also got to give a talk about pitching um, just mechanics and I gave some advice of how PTs could better um, give actionable sort of take-home advice when they do like a video analysis for their for their patients so that was a big deal this week and I'm going to circle back to that at the end but I'm going to kind of start at the beginning so this year this time last year I uh, you know I'd been released in June so June of 2016 was the last uh, pitch I threw and that whole summer was uh, it was it was tough. So I got released, and I said, "Okay, 
I'm going to go home and I'm going to focus on my teams because we had, uh, you know, four Warbird Sanders teams at the time. I'm sorry, we had two that first season. We had two teams. And I said, all right, well, while I'm rehabbing because I didn't think I was done. I'm going to go home. I'm going to rehab my shoulder. I'm going to join my 16U team as an assistant coach, and I'll just kind of help, you know, and be there and get to hang out with the guys and finish my rehab, and then when I'm done, I'll go back out in August. Well, I did that, but it seemed like this past year, like, nothing sort of went um, as planned. So I got out there, and, uh, you know, I was treading lightly. I wasn't the head coach. I was the owner of the organization, along with my partner, Lucas, but it wasn't my goal to jump in and suddenly, like, start running the show my own way, really. I just was there to kind of help, and I just kind of took the pictures, and I would just, like, organize and lend my, you know, expertise where I could. Um, but overall, I, I really just tried to tread lightly. I, again, it wasn't my goal to suddenly come in and be the head honcho. Um, and so after a couple weeks, you know, I uh, was doing my thing, contributing some little points here and there, helping pitchers get ready, helping them be on time for their their starts a little bit better. And uh, I didn't know this at the time, but our head coach, who is a great guy, he's a, he's a, he's a parent, um, you know, played high school varsity baseball, but he's been coaching for a long time. Like, he's a good coach, and like I said, he's a, he's a good guy. He, uh, I guess, felt a little bit threatened by my presence in the dugout, and I didn't know this. I didn't really... I wasn't really aware of it happening, kind of like gradually growing behind the scenes. So, you know, one day we were in Washington, D.C. playing in a tournament, and uh, I said, hey, you know, when do uh, – he said, hey, can you get this pitcher, you know, warmed up to go in the game? I said, okay, what hitter would you like him to be ready for? Which in, in – I, I think college baseball too, but definitely in pro baseball, the, the terminology is kind of we need this pitcher ready for this hitter, or we need this pitcher ready – in two batters or three batters, or can he get ready for the lefty or for the righty? But they basically say that we need this guy to pitch to this hitter, or he has three batters to get ready, you know. And then sometimes there's just how fast can we get ready? We need to get him in the game as soon as we can. But for the most part, it's I need him ready in three hitters or to face this specific hitter. And one hitter generally takes about four minutes. So, you know, it's not, uh, well, three to four minutes. So it's not terribly hard to get ready in three hitters, but in two hitters it's pretty tough. So uh, he didn't give me an answer. He just said, you know, go go get him ready. And I said, okay. And uh, in a previous week, we'd had an issue where a kid ran down to get warm, didn't have nearly enough time, and got sent in the game. And I didn't want that to happen again, but I also didn't want to have a conflict over it. So I just sort of act, asked again. I said, well, what hitter do you want me to get him ready for? You know, is it the guy in the hole? Or any, and he snapped at me. And uh, I said, okay. And I kind of walked down the dugout, and uh, but I really just wanted to know when he needed to be ready. So I made another comment. I said, I just need to know when he needs to be ready. And he chased me down the dugout, and we had a shouting match, um, more so him shouting at me in the dugout in front of everybody. So we later resolved this conflict, and I learned a lot in the process. You know, it, it was a situation where he felt that he was being judged constantly, you know, behind the scenes that I was kind of behind, you know, his back walking around, checking off everything he was doing. And I really wasn't like, he did a good job. Like I said, he, he and I are still on, on great terms today. We hashed it out. Um, but it took, 
him airing me out for an hour the next the following week. We couldn't resolve it that weekend. We sat down and he pretty much just aired me out for about an hour. And I just mostly took it, which was also difficult and also a learning experience. And then after that, with all that sort of off his chest, we moved forward and we came to uh, eye to eye on just all the sort of things. You know, it, really just the underlying issue is that he wasn't used to have someone else, having someone else in his dugout. And he felt just, uh, you know, like he was being watched and um, just was uncomfortable with the situation. And I didn't know that. And that wasn't my intention. And it was just one of those situations that we that we had to, I guess, just kind of go through to learn about it. But anyway, it was, a, it was a tough situation for me because I had just gotten released. I was also dating a girl from New York, which where I was playing. I was playing in Long Island. And uh, we decided to break up when I got released. And my car, my car broke down on the way out of town. So I lost my team. Uh, I lost my girlfriend. Car broke down. And I got stuck. It actually broke down on a Friday at like 4 p.m. So I was actually stuck in this little crappy town in uh, somewhere in Pennsylvania for uh, two and a half days. So then I get home and, you know, I join my team, which I own, and I get basically not welcome. I'm basically not welcome at my own team. So it was a situation for me at that time where I really just felt like I didn't fit in anywhere. And it was tough going through that because, you know, my identity as a player was being threatened. You know, I was trying to give back as a coach, and I got kind of kicked out of my own dugout. And, uh, you know, it was just, it was a lot of growing pains all at once, you know, learning to deal with, you know, conflict on that end and, and my own mortality and all that stuff. So we resolved that, which was good. I mean, it was a big learning experience. And like I said, we worked it out and, and things are, are great today. Um, but going forward, I continued to try to rehab and I just failed. You know, my shoulder continued to hurt. It continued to be an enigma as I tried to fix my mechanics to go back out because I knew I needed mechanical changes to take some stress off my shoulder. But my shoulder was so angry at that point that it really just like nothing that I did was making a dent. You know, sometimes you can try to fix the problem, the root problem, but if it's already so far gone, sometimes your efforts just are going to be for naught. And it was the first time in my life where I just didn't want to play baseball. And uh, I got back on the mound in this uh, adult league. I got one chance to throw throw live, and a lot of my players came to watch me throw, and I threw awful. I sat 89 to 90. I had no command of any of my pitches. My shoulder was feeling okay at that point, but as soon as that, that outing was over, um, it started acting up again in a pretty serious way. So after that outing, where my shoulder was feeling okay and I was throwing almost hard enough again, it went back to square one pretty much and it was kind of blown up and I called uh, Goose, who is my agent of sorts. And because I, I wanted to get back to the end of the season, I wanted to catch the rest of that season and prove that I was healthy again, prove that I, you know, that short blip where I had a seven ERA was a, was a fluke, which if you looked at my numbers, like you knew that it was, but I still wanted to get back out there and and get back on good terms with myself and my numbers and everyone else. Um, but it was the first time in my career that I just didn't, I just didn't want to play. I'd never felt that way before because I'd always been hurt. And when I was hurt in prior years, I just always wanted to get back on the field. So even though I was sitting on the bench, I was always chomping at the bit to get back on the mound. But this was different. I just, I, I didn't want to go play, even though I wanted to make the calls and try to get back out there and grit through it. 
just like I always had. You know, I'd never really pitched healthy. You know, it was very rare when I would throw and not have some sort of pain. But in this situation, my shoulder, it just was um, relatively agonizing and it just wasn't going away. And, uh, and that was a moment. So we talked on the phone and he said, you know, what do you need to go back out there for? What do you need to prove? He said, you know, you're going to get, what, three weeks or a month maybe? And I said, I just don't want to, I just don't want to lose my place, you know, and they're going to continue on without me and forget about me next year. I I just don't want to, I want to stay with the herd. And he said, they're not going to forget. You played six years, you know, you've been an all-star twice. Like you put up good numbers. Coaches talk well about you. You know, you've been a good teammate. You know, you're not going to lose your place. There'll be somewhere for you next year. So don't worry about that. And so I said, okay. And I agreed. And, uh, but really the biggest thing was just that I had this, I just didn't want to play. I just didn't want to go out and play baseball anymore. And that was, I was just so kind of mentally exhausted at that point from fighting my shoulder and all the years fighting my elbow, but mostly this new one, the shoulder was, it was different. It was new to me. It was weird. And it was just enigmatic. I just couldn't figure out how to take it, how to get the pain out of my shoulder. So I didn't go back that season. And uh, on all winter, I rehabbed. So I took a couple months off to try to really let the everything heal up and the inflammation go away. I did my rehab, but with far less zeal and passion than I had before. And uh, as I started to, th- you know, started to get back throwing again, it just was still there. It just, it just wouldn't go away. And just things are different. Like the shoulder to me is more of your engine in your car, whereas your elbow is more of like the axle. So the output from your engine turns the axle. So if the axle is broken, it's a little bit easier to fix than if the engine's broken. You know, the the axle won't work without the engine, but um, if the engine doesn't work, nothing works. And so my shoulder, like just throwing, like and throughout my career, I threw 86 to 88 in my indoor bullpens through most of the winter. You know, I touch a 90 here or there, but in general, I was a big adrenaline guy, and it took me a lot to get into the low 90s, which is where I would pitch most of the time, uh, and it really took me in games to get to there. So I knew that I was like an 86 to 88 guy in the, in the pen in practice, but you put me in a game, and I take a very big jump from adrenaline and all that stuff where I can, where I can compete. So I know if throughout the winter I'm throwing 86, 87, 88, 89, you know, I'm fine. That's normal me. I don't have anything to worry about. And the other five miles per hour, you know, where I pitch at 91, 94, will will be there. But this winter, you know, before the season, before I went out to the Ducks that year, my my shoulder wasn't really hurting, but it was off and on, just didn't feel as good. And I was throwing 83 to 85 in pens. And when I got to the season, I was still mostly 90, 92, 93. Uh, so it was mostly still there, but it was harder to get up to full speed that year. But this winter, after after getting released and after my sort of failed rehab, I mean, it was tough to break 75. It was tough to break 80. It took, like, everything in me to break into the 80s. And I'm like, this is not, this is not normal. Like, I'm not going to make an adrenaline jump of 13 miles an hour. You know, something has to change. You know, something has to give. So fast forward to January, and every time I touch a ball, in the end of de- December and in January, I just have this nagging voice in my head. And it just says, what the fuck are you doing? Just quit. Just quit already. And that voice had never been saying that 
in any prior year. You know, it was just different. And it was a an angry, real, but realistic voice. It was just saying, look, you can't do this anymore. You're in pain. Why are you doing this? You hate this. You're suffering. Why are you doing this? Just stop. Every day, my voice is just, you just need to retire. Why don't you just retire? Why are you still doing this to yourself? And every day I ignored it and I said, no. I said, I've always been the guy that won't quit. I can't quit. I can't quit. And it was this just dissonance in my head that whole six-week period. I just couldn't say no. Like, I'll throw in the towel. Like, there just was no. And so I, I fought that in my head, but the voice just got louder and it got louder and it got louder. And it wasn't, it wasn't as much my identity as, a, as like a baseball player. It was more my identity as a guy who like wouldn't give up, who had some special thing waiting for him at the end of this story. That was my thing. Like I just thought like through all these surgeries and just being a late bloomer, and all this stuff that I was going to have this like crazy sort of movie end to my story. It was, you know, threatening my identity as a guy who, who wouldn't give up. That was more what I held on to than of a guy who's just, you know, another ball player. But I remember the day where I finally had to just say, you're right. And what I had to do was I had to start throwing my bullpens when we were open. So obviously Warbird Academy is, is open from three to 9 p.m. because we train, you know, all young athletes. So I would usually get all my work done during the day when no one's here. But it's just like cold. It's just there's no one around. It's it's not the environment that you need sometimes to really get yourself going to really challenge yourself, especially when things get hard. So I uh, I started throwing my bullpens at around seven o'clock. So if I had a gap in my schedule and someone could cover me, cover for me, I would throw it while there were people here. So they would see, oh, look, Dan's throwing. And then when I know that people are looking at me, it, you know, it makes me feel like I have to show up. You know, I have to, to be, you know, the impressive guy who has played professionally and, you know, teaches everyone else. So you can't look like a chump when everyone else is watching, you know, the teacher. So I did this um, a couple times. And then, but this last time I had one of our, uh, our kids who would later commit to Division One that year. He was coming in after me, and I, I threw this bullpen, and I just had to start seeing my velocity climb. You know, it was, it was again, this is like the last week in, in, uh, in January. I just had to see my velocity start climbing. So I was just gung-ho on throwing every pitch as hard as I could, um, hopefully without pain, but, you know, I was in pain. And I just needed to see the velocity go up. And that bullpen was just exhausting, just mentally and physically exhausting it took everything in my, like every muscle fiber in my body, and I think I topped at 81. And so at that moment, that voice was just screaming at me, like, just retire. Just retire. Stop doing this to yourself. And then as soon as I was done, I was exhausted, irritated, pissed off about it. You know, in comes, in comes this kid, and... Uh, he throws his bullpen and he starts to warm up and I'm standing there watching him as he warms up and just casually like 74, 76, 78, 80, 81, 82, 83. And it was just so easy for him, you know, and this is a 16 year old kid. 
so easy for him throwing a couple miles per hour harder than I was with no effort, just nice, loose, long arm. And that was the moment that I knew. That was the moment that I knew that it took every fiber of my being to throw slower than the next generation who had now caught up to me and uh, just effortlessly doing what I used to be able to do with no effort at all. You know, I used to be able to throw at my hardest, I threw 85 mile per hour changeups. You know, the year that I was, one of the years I was at my best, you know, I threw a relatively hard changeup, but my changeup off of 94 was 85, sometimes 86. And here I was trying as hard as I could possibly try and I could barely break 80. And that was just when I knew that, you know, for me, like jogging this long marathon, like at that point, it was just like, I'm getting passed up by someone 15 years younger than me. I'm watching them go by and just knowing that I can try to turn on the jets, but I just can't. I just, I'm not going to catch him. And that was where I let go. And coincidentally enough, uh, my agent called me, I think a couple days or a week later. And he said, Hey, what's going on? You know, give me a report on you. I know some guys are looking to bring in some independent players into tryouts and into spring training, you know, obviously on your list. So like, what's up? And I, I kind of told him, um, what I was thinking and we got on the phone and it was a, a really tough conversation for me because not a lot of people had who knew what I'd been through had like the playing career perspective of my agent goose because he had had a couple arm surgeries played for a long time and you know he knew how hard it was when he had to let go to let go and he just told me he said look you didn't quit years ago when you signed up to do that surgery again you know that's where people quit that's where how many other guys would have signed up to go through Tommy John again at, at 26 knowing what it meant for their career he said you know everyone out there who had you on their radar, they all counted you out years ago. And, you know, look how far you made it. And uh, you were close, even at the end. And that really, you just ran out. You know, he said, everyone at some point just runs out. And he said, I think you gave it everything you had. And, you know, you certainly didn't quit when quitting would have been an easier thing to do. And he was right. And uh, it was hard, but that was the the conversation I needed to sort of cement it and kind of be okay with letting go. And so then the next year, you know, this whole past year, um, it's been, it's been difficult. So I went through, um, after that, I went through the idea of, you know, writing a book about my career and, you know, I'm, I'm no celebrity. I'm not, you know, a famous athlete, anything like that, but, you know, I've been through a lot and at times I'm a, I'm a reasonably good storyteller. And so the first step for me was telling my parents that I was going to hang up my cleats because they'd been there from the beginning, you know, and then they were in attendance to watch, you know, my final pitch. And so I didn't know how to to thank them because I felt like it needed to be more than just, you know, a text or a phone call. So I wrote them a letter 
and uh, I printed it, and I signed it, and I, I mailed it. And at that point, I didn't know how I was going to write my book. You know, I, I knew I had a story. I just didn't know how to write it. And so after I sent that letter, I thought, this makes sense to me. You know, there were a lot of defining moments in my career. There are a lot of big things that I would want to convey, you know, to a younger player or just to another person, you know, to give them something that I learned through all this, something that was valuable to me, something that, you know, should be shared. Because there's a lot of minutia, especially in a a 22-year baseball career that started when I was eight. And so I decided that I would write letters to people and I would, in each one, write them some sort of story that I felt like was relevant to them. And so I did. And about six weeks later, I, uh, I finished my book, which I'm calling Dear Baseball Gods. And then uh, since then, I've gone through two more revisions and I'm on my third. And throughout that, it's been a fun process, you know, revisiting a lot of these memories. And it's been and it's been tough. It's been emotional trying to to get past all of it. And I feel like when my book is done, because it's getting there, it's getting closer, um, that'll be the way I kind of wipe my hands clean of you know this chapter in my life and and move on. So I'm in the I'm in the process of transitioning, and it's been like I said before. I think the the overwhelming world is just tough, and it's not that I miss baseball. Because most of the time I don't, you know, most of the time when I played, I I played in pain, but I miss the competition of it. I miss having something on the horizon that I look forward to every year. You know, I was, I love the travel and meeting new people. And, you know, like I said, just competing. I think that's the one thing that we miss more than anything, especially, you know, among the guys I've talked to that you just don't get a chance to compete in your everyday life in the same sort of way. And there's new challenges and you know, in this past year, I've I've written my book, I've revised it, I created my first online course, which I'm really passionate about, and uh, I've quickly applied my work ethic to new things. Um, speaking is another one of them. I've spoken at four different venues in the last six months, and that's been really exciting for me, and it also gets me nervous and jittery in the same way that I did when I was about to enter a game. So I know what I want to do long term, which is which is write and educate people and and speak. But still, it's just there's this there's this tough transition from athlete from an athlete going from their playing career doesn't matter what sport it is to the next phase of their life because you say, well, if I'm not a ball player, like who am I? And I don't know that for me it was much about if I'm not a ball player, who am I? I think it's easy to sort of generalize it that way but even when I was playing you know people would always introduce me at you know dinner or just into a new crowd of people or whatever at holidays you know hey this is Dan you know he's a oh he's a a, a baseball player and they'd say oh and I just always felt uncomfortable being introduced that way I, I never wanted to be defined as a ball player by my you know my athletic abilities I don't know why that was because I was proud of it. I was really, really proud that I made it into uh, you know, the professional ranks, and it, me- it always meant a lot to me. But I didn't want people to, to view me that way, and I don't know why it was. Even now, I put writer you know, as my profession, and anytime I'm 
making a bio or a profile or something like that. If it's baseball related, I make sure I include it, obviously. You know, it's it's an important piece of my expertise, but I never wanted to be defined as a ball player. And for people who didn't know me, I tried to avoid telling them who I was in that regard. I tried to let it come out later in conversation, you know, if it had to. But, and so for me, more of the identity crisis wasn't as much being a ball player, it was, I think, more being this guy that that just had this special story who didn't quit. I was a guy who didn't quit, because you hear about these stories once in a while, you know, of a guy who lasts 10 years in the minors without getting called up, and then he finally gets his chance, you know, or someone else who gets hurt, and they, they fade away, and then they make this miraculous comeback, or, you know, like the story of Jim Morris, the rookie, or any of those things. You know, those dolls don't happen. Those stories don't happen if you quit. And I'm fortunate that at the end, I didn't quit. I just had run out. I just, my car was out of gas. You know, there were holes in all four tires, whatever analogy you want to use. I just didn't physically have anything left. And I went to the doctor one last time to get checked out again and see if there's something I could do for my shoulder just for closure. And uh, his conclusion was the same as the others, which was that I had bicep tendonitis, but he said mine was so severe that it was really more of a tendinosis where my biceps tendon had thickened to the point where it wouldn't slide up and down this groove that your bicep tendon is kind of uh, stuck in. It's kind of like a pulley. You know, he said it's, it's thickened and it's inflamed and it's irritated to the point where it's unlikely to ever go back the way it was. He said, I'm going to give you two cortisone shots into two different spots. Maybe it helps but chances are it probably won't. The chances are if you ever want to, you know, pitch again, you need a, a, another surgery. We probably have to snip that biceps tendon and see how it goes. And, uh, of course, I wasn't going to do that at age 30. I actually just turned 31. So that was never a viable option. And so here I am. My shoulder still hurts. Um, on some days I make a 1,000 throws, you know, into 12 lessons, you know, I play catch with almost all of them and I can throw under 50 miles per hour and um, that's completely fine but anytime I start to ramp it up I can already feel how I sort of I've changed my mechanics to try to lessen the shoulder pain and you know it hurts above 50 miles per hour so I know that in the future I probably need an arm surgery um, just to correct that but you know I'll address that when it gets to that point and so it, it was never as much about that though, you know, I, I, I put it to bed, I couldn't physically play anymore. But the identity crisis, like it just still, it's tough to get past because you've done, that was who you were for so long. And I was still this guy who never quit. And uh, I'm, I'm just now getting farther past it. And, uh, and really the harder part when I recall some of these memories, when I go through my book, I still get emotional rereading it. It's less of missing the game. It's not as much missing it or missing those memories. It's just much more so replaying all the strife that went into it. You know, replaying the sort of rise and fall of you as a person and how it plays out in your career. You know, it was, uh, it's just more of like, it's been more of like a purging of all those bottled up positive and negative emotions of all the years, you know, I think that's more probably what players go through. 
when they're transitioning out. They're just all of it, the good times, the bad times. The really good players learn to bottle those up. They learn to stay steady with all that stuff. You know, you don't get too excited about yourself when, you know, when you're leading the team. You don't get too excited about yourself when you make an all-star team or you get promoted or whatever it is. You got to stay relatively level. And with those bad times, you have to do the same thing. You have to put on your brave face and not let others know how you really feel. But it's uh, it all gets bottled up and it all kind of comes out at the end. So this past weekend for me, getting to talk at the ASMI was it was it was special. So you know, I had the attention of you know three hundred of you know the top PTs and orthopedic surgeons and major league baseball athletic trainers and a lot of really important people in the industry who have helped save my career and countless other people like mine. And I got to share my story and it wasn't just a, a bunch of facts. I, I, I told him like who I was and, and where I'd been and what it was like to pitch through pain and how I felt, you know, being in the doctor's office the second time and the first time and and some of the the lessons that I learned along the way, and it was a it was a moment because it was a little way for me to give back to that community because that whole community of people, like I said, are saving they're saving people like me. And even though maybe no one in that audience was directly responsible for me getting back on the field, all of them and just the industry as a whole was all directly or indirectly helping me get back. And, uh, and kept me on that field for so long. You know, without people continuing to push the boundaries of their education and to learn more and to improve these surgeries and the rehab and the outcomes, you know, it doesn't get better. And so for everyone there in attendance, it was, it was really special for me to just to kind of let them know what the kind of the human side, of, side was. And many people commented to me afterwards, you know, and they thanked me for, for sharing that, they had really heard, you know, what it's like from a player before or just some of the stuff that we don't say because as a player, you don't tell your PT that, you know, just your level of of just crushing disappointment every day that you're in the PT's office. Like, you don't say that stuff. You know, you don't tell them the stuff that you miss. You don't tell them how far away you feel from the game. You don't tell them that you kind of forget what baseball is like after about a year of it. Um a lot of that stuff goes unsaid because it's a real big tough guy culture. Um, but I wanted to let those people in attendance know, you know, that this is this is what it's really like. And if you're going to make an impact on some of these guys, you know, helping them through this mentally is a big piece of that puzzle. Because they're all going to put on their, you know, their tough guy face and they're all going to go through it and they're going to act like it's no big deal. But it, it is a big deal. And it's not just the recovery itself. It was everything that went into it prior and how their identity is challenged, you know, when they're on that operating table, you know, because a lot of these guys, um, you know, and, and girls who get surgery, you know, it's not limited to, to baseball injuries by any means. Um, you know, who they are as a person is heavily wrapped up in their athletic career and what they can do on the field. And some people, unfortunately, take a lot of their self-worth from their ability on the field and uh you know we're putting these people back together when they get these surgeries when they do this rehab they put them 
who they are, their identity is in pieces and it gets put back together. So it was a big moment this past weekend, getting to talk there. Who knows if I'll get to share that kind of uh, story again with another medical crowd. I hope to be back there next season or next year for the course again, but you know, you never know. And, uh, but it was a, it was a really important weekend because it just felt like a little bit of a, a thank you to everyone because there's no one in particular, you know, aside from my doctors and, um, the PTs from the past and, um, all the other people along the way, you know, they directly helped me and, um, I'm very appreciative of them, but you know, as, as a whole, I think that's, that industry is often a, a thankless industry too. You know, I know ATCs work extremely hard, especially at high schools and colleges and they just, uh, they're just worked to death and they're very underappreciated and I know a lot of us, once we get through our rehab, we just go back into the world and never put a second thought back into them. But, you know, for all you doctors and, and PTs and ATCs and strength coaches out there, you know, thank you for the work that you do. It's much more meaningful than I think you realize. And so, you know, as I look at what's next, you know, it's uncertain. I'm still getting more into speaking. I'm getting more into my online courses and, uh, and getting better at marketing them and all these different things and just trying to figure out what's next. You know, my academy is still bustling and, and doing great. Our teams are doing well. Um, there's all these different things, but you also have to start thinking about where you're laying roots and what kind of roots you're laying as you sort of enter that post-playing uh, career phase of your, of your life. Because here I am, a, a unwed guy in a town I didn't grow up in, and uh, I'm happy here. I'm happy with the life and all that uh, that I have here that we've created here at, at Warbird. And, but what comes next is, is uncertain. And uncertainty is a big part of an athletic career. You learn to, to deal with not knowing when your next promotion will come or not knowing if someone's going to give you that chance that you want. You know, you just sort of go day by day and try to do your best. And, and that seems like the only real prudent thing to do that's, that's left. But like I said, I wanted to take this episode and just kind of reflect on what's been a, one of the most interesting, challenging and difficult years of my life, you know, letting baseball go, finding new things um, with which to have purpose, and uh, just looking to a very new and uncertain future. You know, I think all of us face this at some point, and I think all of us respond to it a different way. And I think if it's one thing you learn from sports, like I said, it's just uh, kind of one step at a time. You know, for me, it was always one pitch at a time, but it's just one step at a time trying to figure out what fulfills you and where you should, you know, apply your focus and, and work ethic. So thanks for being with me. Um, hopefully we'll churn out another great episode next week and, uh, you know, look for my book. It's going to be out there in about, I'm hoping six months, no more than a year, but I'm going to make sure it gets done right because, you know, this story, I hope that it's another piece that I can give back to the next generation so that all my struggles and the things that I learned, you know, will not be for naught. That they'll help someone else stay with their hurt a little bit longer, you know, learn from my mistakes, and hopefully get farther than I did. Thanks. This was Dear Baseball Gods.